And that's where we're going to be uh, camping out here this morning. And listen up, gang. I know there are people here from all different kind of walks of life. Uh, there's married people in this room. There's divorced people in this room. There's used to be married people in this room. There's widowers and widowers uh, and widows. There's divorced people. There's I want to get married people. There's I don't want to be married anymore people in this room. Uh, there's uh, I, I want to get married again people. There's I can't get married yet because I'm too young kind of people here. And there's also that I'm definitely never, ever going to get married kind of people and, and everything in between. There's all of that. And, and I'm so glad that you are here because, again, we are a church for all people. And last time I checked, all means all. And may I say, please know that there are no footnotes, no qualifications in that statement, okay? Especially as we address the marriage relationship here this morning. Keep turning to Ephesians 5 if you haven't gotten there already. And as you're turning there, you should know that the book of Ephesians, it's about identity, not activity. Uh, the first half of the book is, is all about the gospel. And, and for those of you who don't know, the gospel is not God is good, you are bad, so try harder. Okay, That's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's advice. The gospel is, it really is, has nothing to do with you except the sin that makes Jesus' salvation necessary. The gospel is that we've been forgiven of our sin and gifted the identity of Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that God alone gets the glory. It's not of our own works. It's not of our own doing. So none of us can boast. So none of us can brag. The Bible doesn't teach that God is trying to make bad people better. No, he wants spiritually dead people to come to life. That's what the Bible is about. And don't just take my word for it. Look up there at Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. This is what the Bible says. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, it's word. Who made us alive? Who, who, whose work is it? It's God's work. God does that. That's the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes about for the first three chapters in Ephesians. And then he makes this transition in chapter 4, verse 1. This is what he writes. I urge you then to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So it's gospel, gospel, gospel. And then Paul switches and says, now, now here's the implications of this gospel. Like, if you believe this to be true, this is how it looks as it's lived out in your life day to day. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 4 real quick before we dive into our text in Ephesians 5. Because Paul writes this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, when you submit your life to the lordship of Christ, your life will begin to look different. It will. Not all at once, but definitely over time. And here in Ephesians 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul hammers out 
three different ways that this gospel gets fleshed out. And that's in marriage, that's in parenting, and that's how children are to honor their parents. And those are the next three big priorities that we're going to cover in the series that we're currently in. Pastor Brandon kicked off our series uh, two weeks ago talking about how God should be the number one priority in our life. And then just last week, he started talking about how our relationship with our spouse should be number two. And then for the next two weeks, we're going to split up that marriage relationship and we're going to address both the wives and the husbands separately. So, okay, you ready for this? Guys, that doesn't mean you get a pass today because we're talking to the wives. This is one of the ways that you will show love to your wife by paying attention here this morning. But I invite you to turn to Ephesians 5 if you're not there already. And let's read this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, reading in Jesus' name. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, these, are, these are lofty words, and I pray that your spirit would do his work in this room. Not my work, his work. Not our agenda, your agenda. And we will give you the praise, glory, and honor for the revelation that you are going to bring to us here today in this place through your word. And all God's people said, amen. Now, if you look there in your Bibles, uh, especially at Ephesians 5, where we're at, you'll see that there's some headings every so once in a while. You'll get a number of paragraphs, right? And you'll get like a little heading over that paragraph. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit didn't inspire those headings. They're all there because after a while, some editors came along and they said, okay, now Paul is going to talk about, about marriage here. And the reason I bring that up is because in, in most of the Bibles, they, they put that break in the wrong place. A lot of times that heading is right over verse 22, but but we read in verse 21 this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that verse, gang, is a very important verse in what's coming up in our Life Priorities series. And here's why. Gang, it's an umbrella verse that stretches across these next three weeks. The Apostle Paul is teaching here that if you're a Christian, we should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ's submission to his Father's will. And his father's will, as you see there up in Isaiah 53, 10, it was the will of the father, it was the will of the Lord to crush his son, to crush Jesus as a guilt offering for you and for me. It was the father's will for us to have Jesus die in our place, yours and mine. All the ways we haven't lovingly and willingly and sacrificially submitted to one another when we should have. So today, hear this Emmaus Road. I'm not talking about matters of salvation here in this place. Mostly of what we're talking about in this series isn't dealing with that. Because you see, being a good wife or being a good husband or a good mother or a good father or a good child, it's not going to get you to heaven. It's not. The truth is you can never be good enough. So we're not talking about how you can be forgiven of your sin by doing more good and doing less bad. That's not what we're talking about but we are talking about your response 
to believing in Christ's work for you. So don't confuse those two things. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you don't believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, I I am so glad that you are here. I'm really glad that you're here. But I don't know how to tell you to be married. I don't. I really don't. I'm not saying that you can't be married. Of course you can. Uh, There's plenty of non-Christian marriages that are really, really, really good, in fact. But the kind of marriage that Brandon started talking about last week and that we're going to continue on in these next two weeks is really two people who have first surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And in submission to him and abiding in him, they become more like him over time. They become more forgiving and more patient and more loving and more understanding. Not because they're trying harder all on their own, but because Christ in them is reprioritizing them from the inside out. Make sense? These are matters of sanctification, of growing in our salvation, not matters of justification to have our sins forgiven. And so the mutual submission that Ephesians 5.21 is calling us to just means to make someone else's deal a bigger deal than your deal. That's what it means. It's making your yourself lower than the other person in order to raise them up. Now, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's actually thinking of yourself less. Get the difference? That's what submission is. And so a biblically informed marriage is about mutual submission in reverence for Christ. That means you should submit to your spouse, not because the Bible tells you to, but ultimately because Jesus made your deal a bigger deal than his deal. Amen? And it's with that mindset that the Apostle Paul writes in the beginning of chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, as Pastor Brandon mentioned last week, today I have the wonderful privilege of addressing the wives in this room. And I think that landed on me for a couple of reasons. First off, I thought either I'm totally going to botch this message and the wives in this room, the wives in this room are just going to give me a pass on that because they're going to be like, man, he's single anyway. What does he know? Um, Maybe that's why he is still single. He doesn't have a clue. I don't know. Um, So either that, either that, either I'm going to totally botch this or I'm going to totally kill this sermon today, do a really good job and get proposed to multiple times this week by, <laughs> by single ladies in this church or by friends of yours that you're going to give this message to. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, but honestly, I've been praying really hard for this. I honestly think this is my greatest preaching challenge to date in my ministry. I really do. I don't, I don't joke about that. I've been praying really, really hard. Because as you see, one, I'm, I'm not a wife. I'm not married, and so this morning I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth that needs to be declared in this place. And some of you have come to me in my three months of being here, and you, you have said the, one of the big reasons that you love this faith family and you keep coming back and you tell others to come is because you love the way that we preach and teach the word of God in this place, that we preach it in the whole and in the part. We don't apologize for doing that. We don't give our opinions. We just give straight truth. We don't mince words in this place because the Bible truly is the highest authority that we have in this life. Amen? 
And so are you ready for this? Yeah. Let's go. All right. Ephesians 5.22. Again, ladies, I know you were probably singing this verse on the way to church here this morning in your car. Um, or maybe you've got this crocheted somewhere in your house or bedazzled on your favorite sweater or something. I don't know. But here's, here's what it says. Um, again, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you should know that, that every time wives and husbands are together mentioned in the scriptures, the Bible always addresses the wife first. Interesting, isn't it? I don't care how great of a leader your husband is. No man can lead a wife that doesn't want to be led. That's just true. And this is what the scriptures teach. Again, this is what I teach. This is what the scriptures teach. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So listen up, wives. It starts with you. Wives, you can either be a crown or you can be a cancer. It's up to you. It really is up to you. Proverbs 21.9 reads, Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. That's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. Check it out for yourself, okay? Uh, so forget the couch. They don't want the couch. Your husband would rather choose the rooftop during a tornado outside than to live with a nagging, quarrelsome, fighting wife. It's true. Proverbs 27.15-16 reads, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind. In other words, good luck, guys, in your attempts to stop the leaky faucet of negativity spewing out of her if that's the kind of woman she is. And here's my favorite, my favorite. Proverbs 21:19. Better to live in a desert. <laughs> Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. So guys, listen up. I know Pastor Brandon taught us last week that it's not good for us to be alone, but the scriptures teach through the wisest man that's ever lived, Solomon, God says to him, this is what I want you to write down. And he teaches that if you have a choice of living in the desert and dying of dehydration and having your eyeballs plucked out by the vultures after you die, then living with a nagging wife, then choose the eyeball eating option, okay? Because it's less painful. That's what scripture teaches. Maybe this proverb is a little bit more palatable these days. Maybe you've heard this one. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah, that's pretty much what the Bible is teaching here and not, uh, not really, but it kind of is. So wives, you still with me here this morning? Have you checked out completely? Um, I got a question for you. How's the tone of your marriage? Think about that. How's the tone of your marriage? The Apostle Paul is addressing you first. And ladies, maybe some of you don't realize the power you have over us guys. But then again, maybe some of you do. And maybe some of you are quite aware of that and are directly acting out Genesis 3.16. It's up there on the screen. Gang, this is after the fall. This is after sin has entered into the world and cursed everything. Not just us, but everything through Adam and Eve's willful subversion of God's authority. And here's what we read there. To the woman, he talks about like pains in childbirth. And then he starts saying, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
And the desire that Moses writes about there isn't the desire going on in the bedroom. It's not what you guys do on date nights or vacation. It's not holidays, where holidays are going to be spent, which family are we going to go to, or anything like that. No, it means that you want to overthrow him, that you want to be the head, that you want to take the reins of your household, kind of like from the wife of the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. How many of you guys saw that back in the day? And uh, the matriarch of that family, I love this scene, and she says, yeah, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. That's good, right? Now, here's a couple things. From wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. First of all, guys, don't you ever quote this verse to your wife. If you do, it's over for you, loser, okay? It is. It completely is. Um, that's why Pastor Brandon asked me to preach on this verse today, um, to kind of give him a little shade with Jenny. No, that's not true. Not true. I actually asked to speak on it. Um, but honestly, it says to submit. And to remember, the verse right before it calls for the husbands to submit as well. So don't think your wife is alone in this, because she's not. More on that next week, guys. So be here. Don't sleep in. Don't skip out. Make sure you're here. And secondly, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is not teaching, gang, that women are inferior to men. It's not teaching that. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Men and women are created equal. Yes, there are different roles at home at times and in the church a little bit, but it's not teaching that all women should submit to all men, okay? I want you to be clear on that. Yes, there are two clearly defined arenas where the roles are complementary and never to be in conflict or competition. And again, they're both family, your own family and the church family. And so again, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. But how? As to the Lord. Emmaus wrote, this is a really important qualifier here. As to the Lord, which means this. Wives, follow your husbands as he's following after the Lord. And if he quits following after Jesus, you just keep following after Jesus. Amen? Gang, hear me closely. There is no room, there is no room for abuse anywhere. Anywhere. Especially in a Christian home. Be it physical, emotional, verbal, whatever. Ladies, this doesn't mean that your husband is the Lord of your marriage. No, 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 no. That position has already been taken. And so if you've ever heard some preacher tell you that you should endure abuse for the sake of the gospel, that is not the gospel. It's not. Jesus was the full and the final payment of God's wrath. He took a beating. You don't have to. You don't have to. And so if your initial authority is out of line with what the scripture teaches, then you go to the next authority, which is the church and the government. You go to your pastors and you go to your elders and you go to the police so that we can help you. Hear that today. May I say this will always be, this better be always a place where all women are cherished and valued and served and held in very, very high esteem. Amen? Again, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Got it? Here's what I often get from really strong Christian women, usually fresh out of a, a Bethmore Bible study or something like that, whatever it is. And they say, pastor, pastor, you need to pray for my husband 
to be the spiritual head of our household. And I usually say something like this and respond, you need to read your Bible some more. Because he already is the head of your house. He is. It's positional authority. Wives, your husband is the head. There, there I, I said it. The, the Bible said it. I'm just reading what the Bible teaches. He is the head, period. Now, he might be a good one or he might be a bad one, but he already is the leader because that's how God has appointed him. Just like we didn't as a faith family here at Emmaus Road take a vote on whether or not to submit to Jesus as our leader and as our savior. The Bible is also calling you to submit to your husband because that's the authority God has actually placed upon him. Now, you're probably like this. Well, why, what are you saying, pastor? Like, would you, what does this mean to submit? Would you get there finally? Please, sheesh, it's taking you forever. Here, here it is. I know the word submission is not popular these days, but, but neither is staying married. So here's, here's the deal. Submission, ladies, is simply an invitation to lead. That's what it is. Submission is really just an invitation to lead. Wives, it's laying down the reins of your house. Because the truth is, you're probably way more smarter in some things, more caring, more attentive, more competent in certain areas. We know that. It's true. But you lay all of that down and daily attempt to convince your husband that you think he has what it takes to pick up the reins and to run with it. You know why? Because your husband is going to lead something. That's the way God created us, guys. That's just the way God created us. Ladies, listen up. When God created man, he instilled way down deep this passion and this longing to lead something or someone. And here's where most guys are going to lead. The places where he feels most competent to lead. That's where he's going to gravitate to. And so sometimes you wonder, ladies, why your husband is such a strong leader at work and when he comes back home, he's not so much. Well, let me tell you why. Do you know why his... His job actually makes him feel competent to lead and lead well. Sometimes he walks in, not, not all the times, but sometimes he walks in and someone greets him, says, good morning, sir. Maybe even sometimes with a cup of coffee in hand. And he's got a nameplate on his desk maybe. And, and he tells people to do stuff and they do it. And he gets annual reviews from his superiors and he gets a raise for the work that he does when he does it well. And they pay him money. They pay him money to confirm his worth and value and position within that company. And then he comes home sometimes and he's already told that he's late, that the to-do list is not finished. And he tells his kids to do this and do that. And they're like, what, dad? Why do I really have to? Do I really? Kind of? Can we get out of this? Listen up, wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's an invitation for them to lead in your home. Have you done that? Have you done that? Through your actions, through your words, have you done that? For the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, the Apostle Paul writes it again, a second time, in three verses. Do you know why? It's because, wives, you either weren't paying attention the first time, or, or you started to activate your inner lawyer and push back against the teaching that we find here. And you start to build your defense against this teaching. So the Holy Spirit tells Paul to write it again a second time, and he adds this amazing phrase 
Submit in everything. Ladies, are you still tracking with me? Maybe you just need to take a deep breath. Take a collective deep breath. And here, guys, again, I just want you to be quiet. Shut your mouth. Don't know elbowing here. If you've never taken sermon notes ever, like this is not a good time to start. Don't do that. Just keep your mouth shut, okay? Seriously. Wives, maybe you're thinking to yourself, am I really supposed to submit in this area and in that area and in this area over here? Here's the answer to that question. If it's in the everything category that is right and is good and is holy and just and pleasing to the Lord, then yes, you are. Now, again, I know there's no doubt some really strong individuals in here and your head's about to explode and it probably should if you've never really given this some thought before. I get that. I totally do. Especially if you're not a Christian here in this place. You're thinking that this church is in the dark ages or something. And what you're thinking of when you think that way is a misrepresentation and caricature of what submission is not. And what our culture is telling you it is. Because ladies, here's the deal. I'm going to let you in a little secret. No guy in here, it doesn't matter how successful we are. No guy in here, I don't care if you're 8 or 88 or 108, if you're 108 in this place, God bless you. But it doesn't matter how old you are, how successful you are, none of us guys in this place has ever graduated emotionally from about the eighth grade. It's true. It's true. Ladies, all us guys are such insecure little boys. We are. And we have this fundamental question deep down in our souls that we constantly ask, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? When we were little boys, we tried to prove ourselves to our dads and to our moms, to our siblings or cousins who are older than us, our friends and our classmates, our coaches and our teammates. And then you came along with your pretty hair and your nice smells, and we just kind of bowed up, and, and we started to, to try to act in such a way as to fool you into thinking that we actually have what it takes. But we don't have what it takes. We don't. Now, the Bible tells all of us in 2 Peter 1.3 that when we submit our lives to Christ Jesus, to his lordship, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But us guys have a really hard time believing that. We do. And so God in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, places you ladies in our lives in a marriage relationship to be the loudest voice on the entire planet to echo what God says about us. To tell us over and over and over again, honey, remember, remember you have what it takes to do what God has called you to do, and that's to lead our family to the glory of God. Remember, he will never call you to do something that he won't equip you first to do. You see, ladies, your role in your marriage is to be a helper, as Pastor Brandon talked about last week in Genesis chapter 1. Wives, it's not like you're the one who cooks and cleans. That's not what we're talking about. You're grown adults. Figure out your chores, okay? That's not where we're going with this. It's not like your husbands make all the big decisions, that he alone is in charge. No, that's a horrible reading of this word helper in Scripture. And here's another horrible translation of that word helper. Sometimes I hear ladies say that it's their job to keep their husbands humble. 
Ladies, no, it's not. It is absolutely not. You know whose job that is? That's Satan's job. And he's pretty good at it. Because this world will humiliate him at times. Satan does not need a helper in that. He's really good in doing that all by himself. Your husband needs a helper. Satan doesn't. And for you to push back against what the Bible is teaching here is to say, forget you, God. Uh, my way is, is better than, than your way. I'll trust this book in regards to salvation and stuff because I don't want to go to hell when I die. But when it comes to my home, to my household, I got this. Now, we don't like to think of it like that, but that's exactly what we do when we think that, when we rub up against God's ways. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Think about this. If your God always agrees with you, if your God always agrees with you, then you're probably just worshiping you. Give that some thought. And the reason we have a tendency to do that over and over and over again is because we're glory hounds, each and every one of us. We are, men included. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Andrew, you don't know my situation, man. You, you don't know my husband, my real husband. If, if he would be the kind of guy that Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 talks about, where the spiritual leader, like he loves me as, he, as Christ loved the church, if he's that kind of guy, if he's the spiritual leader, then I, will, then I will submit to him as God is calling me to submit. As he leads, then I will be submissive the way God is calling me to here. But do you know what that is? That's called a contract. And a contract is simply, if you, then I. That's what you're saying. And Emmaus wrote, in a contract, there is no room for the gospel. None. Because the gospel is the exact opposite of a contract. Here are these words from Romans 5.8. In fact, can we actually read this together as a church? I think that would be really good at this point. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, gang, that's what this word helper is trying to convey to you wives. In Hebrew, it's, it's the word azair. And sometimes it's really hard to translate Hebrew concepts, but this time it's not. In fact, this is a super, super special one. I, I want you to know this in no way means that you are less than as a helper. And here's why I know that. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, this word is also used to not only describe you and your relationship with your husband, but also to describe God and his role in relationship with the nation of Israel. And God ain't no less than. Think about this. You have been created for the same role in your covenantal marriage relationship that God had in his covenantal salvific relationship with his chosen people. How amazing is that? And if you've read your Bibles, you know that God was there for both the better and for the worse to encourage them over and over and over again. But how? Through words of love and encouragement and affirmation and grace and mercy. Sure, there were times of correction and consequences were incurred, but overwhelmingly, it was lifting them up when they were down. It was reminding them whose they were when they forgot and echoing over and over again the truth that God is the ultimate provider and sustainer. He is always good. He's never going to let us down. And that when you look to him first, in faith, everything else will be added unto you as well. So wives, are you a crown? 
or are you a cancer? The choice is yours. I know there are some ladies here that are convicted. I know there are. Good. Good. You're like, Pastor Andrew, I'm not, I'm not the kind of wife that Bible's calling me to, and I've got a lot of work to do. Yep. You do. And as we're going to see next week, so are the guys. We've got a lot of work to do, too. And ladies, I want you to know that the grace of God in your lives is him doing this convicting work within your spirit. Romans 2.4 says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads one to repentance. Again, are you a crown or are you a cancer? My brother, my brother Kevin has stage four cancer. He does. But this I know for sure, that not all cancers end in death. They don't have to. But the key is catching it early and fighting against it every day, every day. And he's battling it. But the key to catching it early is to start facing the reality of it. See, wives, there's grace for you today. There is. Jesus is saying to you, your sins, though many, they're forgiven. They are. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ladies, feelings of conviction at the spirit level, it really is the first step to doing things differently in your marriage. And by the way, spiritual conviction isn't natural. That's the spirit of God at work within you, so don't hinder that. Let him work with you in this way. Because ladies, I guarantee you, following after God by grace through faith and asking for forgiveness for the times when you failed and asking for the power to practice gospel-empowered submission in your marriage moving forward is his desire for you. And he will walk with you each and every step of the way. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You think on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are lots of all different kinds of situations in this place here right now. There are people who are convicted. Lord, that is a good thing. Your spirit is at work. And I pray that they would find forgiveness for their failings, that they would be reminded of the crown that they are, not because they're a wife or a mother, but because they are a daughter of the living God, and that trumps all other identities. There are some in this room that are now even just having a burden because they know their marriage, even though it isn't perfect, they know it's a strong marriage, and I pray maybe even there's a burden in their hearts to start mentoring younger couples that might be struggling in this. Lord, make that clear. Whatever's, whatever's working, Lord, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't suppose to know what's working in the hearts of people, especially women. I don't but your Holy Spirit does, and he and he alone will do the work that he needs to do. So I pray that these ladies would, would submit to him today, and in submitting to him, they'd submit to others. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and all God's people said, amen.